money to uh, help, you know, really solidify that side. So um, I know you're automatically thinking, ha-ha, Spurs sold their best player. How did that work out for them? But uh, uh, no, no, no offense to you or anything. But really? I just I believe I, the rest of our squad is actually a little better than what Spurs had. I mean, Bale just covered so many cracks for you guys. Yeah. I mean, he he just he was everything. You know, at least Liverpool was scoring goals from other places. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's when we talked about the. Um, the article when we were discussing about uh, who would win the Premier League if it was just goals counted by Englishmen, um, and it still would have been Liverpool. So obviously they they have a team in place, but yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you got Sturge who scored twenty plus last year. You know, um, bringing in Lalana, bringing in Lambert. Um, yeah, you still got Gerard, who uh, apparently as long as nothing's on the line is just fine and dandy. Oh man. And, uh, you know, you got to think if they did get that money in, that they'd go out and get somebody who can score some goals for them. So. That's that's what you need. I don't, I don't want them to leave. Uh, uh, would you would you have thought a week ago that this was really possible? Did you did you really think that when we, when we talked last week, did you really think that there was a chance he could be sold? A very, very, very small chance. Mm-hmm. And I still believe, I still truly believe it's less than a 50% chance. Mm-hmm. I still believe it's less than 50%. Just because there is so much that can go wrong when it comes to a major player like this. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, and the one thing about Barcelona, Barcelona, they have money, obviously, but they do not have the massive checkbook of Madrid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Madrid has already kind of dropped out of it, so it's either Barcelona or bust. Uh, I give it about a sixty forty that he stays. What? How would they play that team if if they did take on Suarez? Like, because now um, now you have Neymar, Messi, and Suarez. Well, actually, I think you can play it very easily. I mean, if you play like a four three three, yeah. I mean, because Neymar and Messi are actually maybe a little more comfortable out on the wing. Yeah, I guess you could do that. Whereas Suarez is more comfortable right down the middle. So, I mean, it would be an amazing attack. I mean, once they, you know, once they had some time together to gel, I mean, it, it would be absolutely phenomenal. I mean, you have maybe three of the five best attacking players in the world on the same line. It wouldn't be bad. Did no. you uh, did you happen to see the uh, the 538 article on Lionel Messi? Which article? Uh, on 538. No. Um, basically, every, like, the title of the article was Lionel Messi is impossible. And they used advanced metrics to basically show that, yeah, he's, he, he's doing things not only better than everybody else, he's better at everything than everybody else. And, and sometimes by a rather <laughs> wide margin. Like, it's, it's sort of disgusting to, to, to read how like just just his percentages and everything just from shots in the box he's like i think i saw that he's better on shots outside the box mm-hmm. than ronaldo is on shots inside the box well, i mean he's he's i mean he's just on another level right now yeah he's he's just he's totally on another on another level 
he knows he has to take it upon himself because, you know, for whatever reason, Argentina just not totally clicking together. No. Um, and I think they're just, I think they're really just over relying on him. I mean, even today he made the killer pass to win the game. So yeah. it's uh it's Messi's world. The rest of us just kind of hang out here. And that's, that's where we hang out for episode nine of the all new shorts podcast. That's what we're called. The all new sports show of the podcast. Oh, I, I, I'm, I'm just curling my, wa- my waifu body pillow and, and crying sad tears. That's all I've been doing. Oh uh, yeah, it's I'm, me. I'm 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 well, out of tears. I have nothing left. Yeah, you you shed most of yours in the uh, the opening match for England, didn't you? <sighs> no, remember that was the one that we were actually you know. Yeah. Some, yeah. Hey, we were we we viewed that as progress. Um, no, England took my tears and sent them. It's just it's all going downhill. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 been bad times the entire just, time here. Um, just in general. Yeah, uh, all good. All good things going on right now for both of us. Uh, of course, it is myself, Edward Green, and my colleague Wes Bratcha here, bringing you all the great stuff coming up this week in sports. Uh, we will react to the newest round of the World Cup that has taken place. The knockout round is underway, and the first round of matches is done. We are now going to preview the quarterfinals as well. We'll also talk a little more soccer. Uh, along with rating sustainability and maybe even tell you about an MLS rep who is doing a bang-up job so far down in Brazil. Uh, We'll talk about some other good stuff from baseball. Uh, The All-Star Game is coming up, apparently. Didn't didn't totally know that. Sure, I guess. Yeah, sure. You know, that's a thing. And uh, Well, that's the season that really started that month. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I didn't realize it was already late June. Um, Now July. Uh, we'll also talk a little bit. See, I still don't know what it is. We'll also really? talk. Yeah, it's it's really it's really late June right now. Uh, the NCAA is reopening the UNC investigation because reasons. Because you know the NCAA, it's the uh, it's the model UN of governing bodies for sports. They're they're great. Um, in fact, we I was gonna make a joke about FIFA, but uh, FIFA showed a little more teeth this past week. So. For once, I can't crack on them. Um, even Chiellini's like, whoa, that was a little harsh. Uh, we'll talk about the zeitgeist a little bit. Uh, Facebook messing with people's emotions. Uh, and, of course, our So Raw update as we continue the excruciatingly slow push to SummerSlam. And, Wes, I heard that there was a special guest appearance uh, on Slam this week. Or on Raw. Oh, business picked up last night. We'll get to it. Big time picked up. Fantastic. Can't wait. And if you like, if you can't wait to interact with us either, uh, you have a multitude of ways you can do it. Get us on Twitter at All New Sports Show. Go on Facebook, facebook.com slash All New Sports Show. Email us, All New Sports Show at gmail.com. Mail us your parcels and your letters at 1701 Sunset Avenue, Suite 201, Rocky Mount, North Carolina, 27804. All right, Wes, let's jump right into it. We'll save the best for last. And by best, I mean worst. Let's talk about the round of 16 that has just finished up. Tremendously great matches taking place. Five going into extra time. Two of those going into penalty kicks. The best and worst way to end any soccer match. Uh, let's start right at the top of the bracket. 
Brazil, the host country, surviving a scare on the back and hands of Julio Cesar. They beat Chile 1-1, advancing 3-2 on penalties. You have to feel for Chile. They played so well, got a goal on a giveaway by Hulk, and really just hung in there best they could. Brazil not able to generate just about any sort of rhythm in the second half on. But again, Julio Cesar, MLS's own Julio Cesar. He's not good enough for QPR, West, but he's good enough for the Brazilian national team. They go through 3-2 on penalties against Chile. You you were skeptical of Brazil. I was less so, but still a tad bit. Uh, I, I assume this does nothing to assuage your worries of the host country. I've been skeptical the whole way. That said, I still picked them past this point. Um, I just think that whole being at home thing, I think uh, they've kind of gotten, they've gotten used to it where they're not quite feeling the pressure anymore. And I think that is what's carrying them in the end. Um, they still got big time deficiencies at the back. They've got big time, you, you know, the one thing you think of Brazil all the time, you think scoring and beautiful football. They are really, really poor up front outside of Neymar. Uh, Hulk, Hulk, Hulk smash, Hulk know whatever he wants. But. Hulk had a great game. Hulk had a great game. Aside from the, the terrible giveaway that led to a goal, he was probably one of their best options going forward from that point on. And really, I, I understand the handball call, but man, that was, that was a really good touch for the non-score. Like I was... For the first time in this tournament, I've actually been impressed with uh, Hulk for Brazil. Uh, Joe and Fred, though, not so much. Oh, Joe and Fred, have, they have been just that. They've been someone named Joe and Fred on the World Cup pitch. I mean, you know, yeah. would you ever expect someone named just Joe or Fred to be good? Well, it's a good thing you didn't because they're not good. Um, they've been really, really, really poor. And uh, and that's shown, you know, because this Brazil, they've done well enough where they should be winning some matches comfortably, and they're just not doing it. Mm-hmm. They're just not doing it. So I still still think they're gonna, you know, they're they're gonna continue their run here. I do believe, but um, the deficiencies are really showing through, and the deficiencies are once again the reason I did not pick them to win their own tournament. Is is hosting this tournament, if you are a major team, does that almost become a hindrance? Because I, I noticed I was looking at 538's uh, Nate Silver site. He had uh, his guys create a updating percentage chance for each team to win the World Cup and advance through each stage. And Brazil, at the start of the tournament, was almost at 50% to win. And even as far as uh, as recent as earlier today before Argentina won, they were still hovering above 40. And one reason I heard was because of home field advantage. But if you're a major team in a tournament like this, if you're Germany, if you're France, if you're England, you know, doesn't this almost hurt you to have that much pressure on every game, knowing that if we go out, we are letting our entire country who's watching us right now down? Well, one one thought that I have... And the reason it's different than it used to be 
is because, you know, now if you're a host country, you know, we look at the last few World Cups, 2010 South Africa. Mm-hmm. I don't think those guys had any real pressure on them. No. Um, 2002, when it was Korea and Japan, I don't think there was any real pressure. But, you know, you go back and look at these other ones, you know, Germany, 2006, of course, Brazil now. You know, one thing, one thing that's going on, it's not all of them because Brazil doesn't fall in this, but a lot of other ones, you know, back in the old days when, you know, Mexico hosted and had, had great tournaments and Argentina won their home tournament and, you know, Italy did great on home soil and France won on home soil. You know, those teams seem to be made up of players that were, you know, most of them played in the domestic league, which mm-hmm. was really, you know, they had strong domestic leagues and most of their players stayed in those domestic leagues. Now, you know, you've got guys, you know, you've got Brazilians who, I mean, they literally show up in Brazil to play for the national team, and that's it. Right. You know, they're not immersed in it, so they, I believe they are feeling the pressure. Where, you know, Germany 2006, you know, maybe the Germans didn't feel that pressure quite as much because, you know, those guys, had they had been in it. They had prepared themselves for it. It wasn't really a shock to them, the pressure that was coming. Uh, the same with France in 98. You know, those French team, that French team, it did have some great players who played in other leagues. But I just I feel for certain countries that maybe the pressure wouldn't be so bad. But for someone like Brazil, where you export almost all of your stars, mm-hmm. I, I wonder if they just don't have that sense of, you know, this is home anymore. Yes, you know, it's where I'm from. But is this really home to me now? So I wonder if that somewhat takes away that home field advantage for them. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I just Brazil has looked shaky all term, and I think that's part of deficiencies. But I mean, even even we talked about it in their first round game against Croatia. I mean, they came out. Croatia got the own goal, and Brazil, the team, and the fans looked just shell shocked. And it was. I just think that that's the sort of thing that can just completely derail. Now, Brazil just have quality to get them through that and through against Chile, but it's going to be, it's going to be tough going forward. It's going to be very tough. And another thing about just Brazil in general is Brazil's history is so rich. It's so great that, you know, really no matter what, Mm -hmm. I mean, people just expect Brazil to win. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't matter, you know, on the world stage, it doesn't matter if everyone in the know knows that Brazil stinks. Just everyone else expects Brazil's going to win because, right. oh, they're Brazil. They'll be fine. They've got, oh, you know, I mean, hey, throw a couple Brazilians out there. You'll be fine. It doesn't even matter who they are. So you know, Brazil is a little, Brazil's a, kind of a different animal, really, from everyone else in world football. And that animal will hopefully be looking to uh, bear its teeth when it goes into its quarterfinal match against Colombia, who defeated the Luis Suarez-less Uruguay 2-0 in Rio de Janeiro. A couple of great goals uh, in that match by America's latest heartthrob, uh, James Rodriguez. Don't call Uh, him Jimmy. No, don't call him Jimmy. Don't call him James. Don't even call him James. It is James or Jaimez, depending on if you're British or not. 
Uh, Columbia with a big 2-0 win. They are going on for, I believe, the first time ever to the quarterfinals where they do get the host country. Wes, we were we were pretty excited with this team coming out of the group stage. You said if if no Luis Suarez that Colombia would win. You were correct. Uh, Colombia looked to control that game, although it felt like towards the end, maybe the last twenty minutes or so, I I felt with the way Uruguay started building its attack, if they had gotten one, that they were going to equalize, and the one just never came for them. Uh, they had a lot of good opportunities, a lot of little pinpoints that they tried to break through the Colombian defense, and it just didn't happen for them. But I honestly felt if Uruguay had gotten one, they could have equalized. I don't know if they would have ended up winning, but it felt like if they were going to get one, they could have gotten two. But still, a great performance from Colombia. They have some strikers on that team, and they are going to be a force against Brazil coming up. I'm, I'm going to tell you, man... Um, I think for Brazil, this could be their toughest test coming up because you have a Colombian team that is flying so high right now. You know, they, I mean, quietly, they have been the team of the tournament. Yeah. I mean, no one has really put on a show quite like Colombia. The French have been good, but the Colombians haven't even been shaky. You know, they've just been going out there and annihilating people. Um, you know, coming out of their group, oh, we felt their group wasn't great. Greece, Ivory Coast, Japan. Colombia's just been fantastic. They're doing it all without Radamel Falcao, who arguably, you know, this side of Suarez was the best striker in the world coming into this tournament and picked up an injury for Monaco during club season. Not able to play. You know, I, I do remember... Myself throwing in that uh, James Rodriguez would be the breakout star of this tournament mm-hmm. uh, before it started. Uh, I'm not gonna not gonna brag. I have been right on with that prediction. He yeah. has been. I mean, he's breathtaking. He is amazing. I will say this: he he is great on his, on the second goal though against Uruguay. The header back to him as I forget the player who did it, but the player was falling, about to fall out of bounds, and he just heads it straight back. It was, it was a beautiful, beautiful goal all the way around. James Rodriguez has been great, but that assist was just exquisite. This Colombia team is good all the way around. And, you know, uh, Jackson Martinez, who is a big-time talent over in Europe, um, had not really played well for the Colombian national team in really about four or five years. Um, but he's suddenly coming to life, I believe, had a brace uh, in their last group stage match, I believe. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's really come to life up front. He's giving them that other option other than James Rodriguez. Um, you know, you look at Colombia, they've got they've got a lot of talent up and down that team. It's probably their best team ever. I'm not ready to quite pull the trigger on them beating Brazil, but if we come back next Tuesday and Brazil's not in this tournament, I will not be surprised in the least bit. I think Colombia may have the guns uh, to go and do it, and I just I don't believe Colombia is going to be intimidated by the fact that they're in Brazil having to do it. We're going to get to the other quarterfinals game in this bracket in this side of the bracket later. Um, but what would you think about this statement? The winner of this game will go to the final. 
Mm. Well, of course, in my prediction, that is what I have going on. Yes. Um, man, on that bottom half right now, both France and Germany are both sitting down there. I'm going to go with it just because it's what I did predict earlier in the tournament, but I, I just believe there is so much intrigue on this side of the bracket. It is, it's, it's amazing the matchups that you have on this side of the bracket. It's, it's going to be fun. Some great writing still going on by FIFA land. Uh, so let's jump out to the next day's matches. We'll go to the other side of the bracket for this one. Uh, the Dutch versus Mexico. The Dutch with a 2-1 lead had to come back, breaking the hearts of Herrera lovers everywhere. They I am get, a, I'm such a Herrera lover. After a goal by Dos Santos in the 48th minute for Mexico, Wesley Snyder with maybe the hardest hit ball of the entire tournament in the 88th minute equalizes. And then Huntalar with a penalty in the 94th minute, a very controversial penalty, uh, full of controversy. Uh, I just, God, I love saying that word like that, controversy. Um, also, it came out during the, the next day that Robin did uh, apologize for diving earlier in the game, did not apologize for diving to get the penalty late. Uh, and, of course, FIFA decided not to sanction him because, hey, why would we want to stop diving? So Netherlands goes through 2-1. And truly, I mean, in the spirit of the game, isn't diving worse than a bite? I mean, yeah. I mean, <sighs> really, what damage is a bite doing? I mean, come on. In the spirit of the game, yes. In, in terms of being a human being, no. no. Well, but I mean, seriously, you know, you're sitting here, you're looking, you, you've just suspended a guy. You've taken away a guy's livelihood for four months. Not just suspended him from playing, but you have basically told him you cannot come to a soccer field. You cannot enter a stadium for four months because you've been a guy. Yet, Ian Robin uh, openly and admitted to it that not only did he try to uh, basically cheat earlier, but then he did it and totally got away with it later. And we're just like, ah, those freaky dinky Dutch. They no. got one over on us. Let me be clear. I absolutely believe if he admitted it, he should absolutely be suspended for at least Costa Rica. He should absolutely be suspended. There, there, the fact that he can admit to it and then basically FIFA says, because you were honest, we'll let you go for nothing. When the Dutch have a history of doing this is absurd. This could have been another time FIFA could have really set an example. I, I believe they did the right thing with Suarez. I believe they truly and honestly did. But here they just completely dropped the ball. You have a guy admitting it. And, and, and the thing is, you know, the, the world perception, especially, well, I won't say the world, at least the American perception of soccer mm -hmm. is, you know, that's part of it is, oh, well, I mean, they die, they act. You know, guys don't get touched and they fall down. And here you have an opportunity to actually do something about it, change, you know, help change the reputation of your sport for the better, and you're just going to be like, ah, no big deal. Doesn't matter. No. It's and a joke. Why, and this is why America overall is not completely accepting of this sport that yeah. we so dearly love. Yeah, one day they will be. But uh, what? Saw, what are your... saw, saw a great saw a great video on this that um, I think I might post on our Facebook page later. Uh huh. 
just uh, just just to just to kind of get my point across about the diving. I I will be very excited and look forward to that. You should uh you should get our producer next week to uh go ahead and throw that up for you. Well, I think I'm gonna go ahead and do that before he comes in. You know, gotcha. I, I think okay. we may have what one more week of uh, freedom to do what we want. Yeah, there you go. Before this new guy comes in. Mm. So uh, thoughts on the uh, the Dutch Mexico game uh, aside from the dive. Uh, a, I still hate the Dutch with all my heart. They're uh, horrible, horrible people with Ditto. wonderful uh, with wonderful drug laws. Um, I was I was I was really heartbroken for Mexico. I'm not one of those complete Mexico haters like most America fans. Um, you know, of course, the United States and Mexico is an intense, really brutal rivalry. Uh, of course, I'm an England fan, so to me, it's just all good theater. You know, Herrera was a guy I, I really, really like. Herrera. I mean, he's just he's a dude, man. I mean, he's not good looking. He's not, you know, he, he doesn't like a model like AVB does. I mean, he's just this guy, and he coaches, and he cares so much, and he gives everything he has into coaching. And they were so close to knocking off the Dutch, who, once again, I cannot stand the Dutch. So I was really disappointed in the game. I was I was really hoping for a uh, – I was really hoping for a Uno, Uno – well, however you guys would say it, Uno Cero. Uno Cero, yeah. I was looking for Uno Cero, and uh, it was not to be. A Dose Uno got me. Before we uh, before we move on from this game, quick thought here. Uh, Herrera for England? Oh, I don't think Herrera would get over in England because Herrera's not English, which means he's probably got a grasp on the modern game. <laughs> oh, uh, it's so true, though. Moving on to Recife, uh, in maybe the worst played game of this opening round, and yet still it ended up being one of the most exciting ones. Uh, Did over... you play again? Seriously? <laughs> no. Uh, Costa Rica, the CONCACAF Thunder, they advance on penalties 1-1 over Greece. Costa Rica with a 5-3 penalty win. Uh, Greece, again, that late magic that we've seen so much this tournament in a stoppage time. He had a strike in the 91st minute to send it into extra time. And then Costa Rica, uh, in what was basically a helter-skelter, nobody really knows what they're doing extra time, uh, finally pulled it through once they got to penalties, nailing all five of their kicks, speaking of England, and really just doing a great job of advancing. Although I feel like if they play the way they did against Greece... They're going to get destroyed by the Netherlands. But still, the CONCACAF team to get out of the round of 16. Great run for Costa Rica, no matter what happens now. Very, very proud of them. They have accomplished a lot. And uh, you never know, though. You never know. We didn't think they'd beat Uruguay. We didn't think they'd beat Italy. Who's to say they can't beat the Dutch? Well, I know I will be pulling for them to beat the Dutch. As will I. Because that's my Facebook status says... God, I hate the Dutch. <laughs> uh, I, I think I think a lot of the world is going to become Costa Rica fans. I think they could become the darlings of this tournament. Um, also, just quick side note before we get to the rest of the games. Uh, first time in a while, all group winners advanced. Just putting that out there. Every group winner advanced. It did, it did not pay 
to finish second in your group this year. No, it did not. Unfortunately, <clears throat> it did not. Uh, on to the June 30th matches. The first one in the capital, Brasilia. France struggled early. And Hello. So France struggled. Yep. France struggled, and uh, so Pogba got an own... Uh, sorry, let's try that again. So yeah, France struggled. Uh, Pogba did pick up a goal on a screaming header in the 79th minute, and then just for funsies, France picked up an own goal in the 92nd by Yobo of Nigeria, because you only ball once if you're from an African country. Uh, France gets the 2-0 win. Not, not the convincing win I think a lot of us felt they'd pick up coming out of their group looking very strong, Wes. That said, the Nigerians, I think, um, that they're, they're just tough, man. There's nothing else to really say about Nigeria. They're just, they're tough. You know, they go at you. They're athletic. Uh, they're, they got a lot of pride in the way they play. And you know, the French kind of can be a little, you know, a little laid back at times. Laid back. Not going to make a French joke here, waiting until they get eliminated before I do that. Hell, you can wait until just the, we set up the quarterfinal game. Come on, what are you doing? Well, you know. Um, <laughs> I think they're going to win that quarterfinal game. Um, but uh, I, I just I think it was more an aberration from the French. Even though it was pointed out on uh, one of my friend's Facebook posts that um, is it just kind of ironic that the French have uh, their logo, which is a chicken in their jersey. Hey, us, uh, them and Spurs. Them and Spurs. Moving on to the game that took place in Porto yeah, Alegre. At least Spurs is a fighting chicken, though. That's true. That's true. Uh, Germany 2, Algeria 1 in extra time. All three goals coming in extra time. Uh, Schurl with a goal in the 92nd minute. And then Ozil, that little red face, had what looked like was just the icing on the cake in the 120th minute. And then Jabu with just an uncovered kick right in the box as he came running in in the 121st minute. And I tell you what, Algeria almost pulled off a second. They came very, very <laughs> close to doing what would have seemed impossible and sending that game into penalties. Uh, a lot of props. You gave a lot of props to Nigeria. I'm going to give a lot of props to Algeria. They had a game plan. They executed it. And really, I think they just got tired at the end. I think that's what did them in. Germany were just a little more fit. And that's where you saw the talent kind of poking through. But a standing ovation for Algeria and this entire tournament. Great run. First time ever in the knockout stage, and they acquitted themselves well. A lot of good things going on with that team. And, uh, yeah, they, they put they put a scare into Germany. I'm sure not a lot of their supporters would have figured that game would have even gone to extra time. Um, the Germans, I, I almost wonder if the Germans were kind of sitting back thinking everything was going to just be taken care of and they could start looking ahead to, you know, to playing France in that quarterfinal. Um, that was not the Germany that we've become accustomed to seeing. Not at all. That said, you know, we since the opening match with Portugal, Germans just haven't really been that impressive. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. they they drew Ghana. They they had a somewhat lackluster one nil win over the U.S. in their final group stage, and in a game they really only needed to draw, they still picked up a win. But they were really they were going for it, and really, that's a team that with the chances they had created during that United States match, you would have you would have assumed they would have been able to pick up more than one goal, and they just never could. There are some issues with Germany. Their back line can be had. And this is this is a team that going forward against a team like France that can really put up some goals in this tournament, I think they're going to struggle. And for the first time, I can't believe I'm going to say this, I'm going to agree with you, and I'm not going to switch it on my actual bracket. I'm going to go with you and take France as well when they play on July 4th in Rio. And you know what? There's There's a little bit of payback because... You know, I'm sure there's there's been some battles France and Germany have been in, in in history, you know? The French have surrendered many times over the years. Maybe this time they won't. Not not we're not allowed to talk about what what times those might have been off off a pitch that they surrendered to Germany, but 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 there were times, there were times. Um so you I assume you're going to stay with France though and uh I I still think France France can win this game. I think this is going to be one hell of a match, though. Oh, I'm excited for it. Um, you know, I have not gotten to watch hardly any World Cup live mm-hmm. uh, over the past few weeks, uh, either due to uh, work or, you know, baseball coaching, tournament, whatever we've been doing. Just haven't had the chance to watch it. Uh, I am off on Friday. We don't play a tournament game until Sunday this week, so... Man, I get two days to watch uh, to watch some World Cup action. Uh, now all I have to do is figure out how to uh, let my wife, you know, how to get my wife to let me watch it, and then we'll be doing very well. Well, there I will let you know there is always a TV that will be available for you at the uh, the palatial uh, Edward Green de Casa Estates. So like Green Manor, eh? If if you don't if you don't mind being a minute and a half behind the rest of the world, you can totally come watch it here. Well, considering I've actually listened to more soccer on the radio than maybe ever before uh, over the past few weeks, um, at that point I'm usually about three minutes behind. It's always really nice when I get the uh, ESPN score update about ten seconds before <laughs> the goal goes yeah, in. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot, ESPN. You guys are just super. I will say this: I'm going to miss Shep Messi when this is all over. I have thoroughly like, enjoyed listening to Shep Messi. I have, um, you know, heard uh, heard uh, the state of North Carolina get a shout out earlier this uh, earlier this month about the uh, U.S. Open, mm-hmm. and said, "I've come, I've come from the U.S. Open, and now I'm here in Manaus." Oh, and he uh, and he said North Carolina actually kind of felt like Manaus, yeah. so that that was good to know. Yeah, I'm sure it did while he was here. Uh, going on to the games that took place uh, today when we are recording this, not to date this podcast, uh, Argentina won, Switzerland nil, in Sao Paulo in extra time. Another team that just looked, they executed their game plan to perfection. Uh, the Swiss really just frustrated the Argentines. And then once again, Lionel Messi, crucial in a late-game situation. He feeds Di Maria on the edge of the box in the 118th minute when it looked like surely Argentina and Switzerland were going to be going to penalties. Was not to be. Di Maria with an excellent shot. Argentina wins. 
They've won all four of their matches, Wes, and besides Magical Messi, I can't say I've been terribly impressed with this team overall. No, but this is the team I picked to win, so, you know, <laughs> unlike Brazil, who I didn't pick to win, and I'll pick out their deficiencies, you know, I'll defend my pick by saying that Argentina seems to be a team of destiny. Uh, of course, yeah. Yeah. That's you know, sure. it's, it's all how I decide to look at things that day. Um, I, they just look very, they struggled to get anything going against the Swiss and they had a very good defensive game plan, but they just, they look confounded and they look like they kept waiting for Messi to do something. Finally he did, but going forward in this tournament, I don't know if you're Argentina that you can keep relying on that. Well, I mean, you got the best player in the world. And yeah, there's that. He's a, guy, he's a guy who time and time again at different levels has stepped up. So, you know, hey, <laughs> ride the horsey. Yeah. And, and I mean, Argentina can literally go back into their history. Um, I guess we're about 28 years out of one magical man carrying them to a World Cup title. His name was Maradona. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't been done before. You want to you want to talk about FIFA not uh not banning people, man. That's uh, <laughs> that's uh, I'm not bitter at all. What are you talking about? Multiple. It it, it did take multiple uh failed drug tests to finally get Maradona out of the World Cup. Yeah. and even that was controversial. Gotta love FIFA. All right, and moving on to the final match of the round of sixteen. Um. Well, to be fair, at that point, Seth Blatter had just turned 93 years old, so he was still a spry man. (laughs) Um, Belgium 2, United States 1 in extra time. Uh, The dream dies for the United States of America. Very depressing. Uh, I have not yet been able to offer my condolences. I'm truly, dearly sorry, my friend. Thank you. Um, Again, the 93rd minute, killing the United States. De Bruyne. Uh, with a goal to come off a uh, Lukaku um, shot on goal. Uh, He strikes in the 93rd minute. Lukaku follows it up just before the end of the first extra time period uh, with a goal of his own in the 105th minute. And just when we thought the United States was dead in the water, Julian Green, he comes out and on his very first touch for the United States in the 107th minute brings them back to within one. And it looked like ever so surely, ever so surely, the United States were going to equalize on one of the best run free kick plays I have ever seen in my entire life. That deserved to go in just for the sheer imagination and creativity of it. But Courtois was up to the task. The Belgium keeper made the stop of his life and the United States goes out. And yet man of the match a man who had more saves in a World Cup match than any person in the last 50 years, the common lookalike himself, Tim Howard. I 16 saves, a yeoman's-like effort just to keep the USA in it. And it just wasn't meant to be, but the United States are going to leave Brazil with their heads held high. Uh, I'm sure they a little bit disappointed. That Belgium game was theirs for the taking. A Chris Wondolowski strike in the 91st minute could have put them through without the need for extra time. Uh, but it just wasn't meant to be. But I say what you want now. Everybody needs to hop on this Jurgen Klinsmann bandwagon because I, 
I, I think the man knows what he's doing. I, I think this set this this can finally place all the doubts at rest. Well, but the, I mean, I guess you have to ask at this point: Is Clinzy up to the task of staying in the United States, or maybe he could join the long line of our Roman Abramovich? Uh, Chelsea managers, you know, that line needs uh, some new fresh blood and, you know, Klinsman would look good in blue for about six months. Um, speaking of Chelsea, all three of those Belgian players that you uh, did mention, all three Chelsea outcasts. So uh, yeah. good for Chelsea. Obviously they, obviously they know uh, how to stockpile talent and never let it breathe. They don't need strikers. Um, very, very disappointing match. Uh, I heard yeah, Men and Blazers. Cool. Yeah, I heard Men and Blazers talking about it after uh, they did with Lukaku just what uh, West Ham used to do with him, what Everton has done for him, and that's basically hold him out, say, "Hey, everybody else, go run, go bother to the defense for ninety minutes, and then we're just going to throw on Lukaku, and he's going to be bigger, stronger, and faster than everybody because he's fresh." And that's Lukaku. Yep. And uh, that's ultimately what did in the United States. I, Lukaku. Yeah. I, He's so Lukaku. Yeah. It, it, it's, the announcer, I believe Ian Dark said it best, a man that has at times looked disinterested and not wanting to be there for Belgium finally shows through, and it just so happens he shows up against the United States. Um, it's hard to say the United States deserves to win this game. Uh just based on how many chances Belgium had in regular time to win it. Um, but, man. I... Well, I mean, Tim Howard, who do not ever, ever get it wrong. I'm about as far from a Tim Howard fan as you'll ever find. And that has nothing to do with him playing for Team USA. Um, it actually doesn't have that much for him to do for him playing for Everton, uh, Liverpool's bitter rival. Um, it more has to do with his uh, horrendous commentary on Barclays Premier League. Oh, games. I love him! I love him with Arlo. He's great. Oh no, 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 my friend! Not if you're a Liverpool fan. He is he, not. Great. He called Jan Vertonghen the best left back in the biz. What are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. He's great. Exactly. So obviously, uh, a skewed, skewed view of world events. Which obviously. let's let's be real here. If Jan Vertonghen actually got his head out of his butt and decided and just said, okay, I guess I'm playing left-back from now on. That's not the most untrue statement in the world, because he's a really, really good left-back. He just... Well, he potentially is a really good left-back, but unfortunately for him, that is his, uh, that's his nature, and that's his character, that he doesn't want to get his head out of his butt. Yeah. Yeah, so... so anyway, go ahead. Uh, but Tim Howard just amazing today. I mean, you know, they say in hockey that a goalie stands on his head. That's basically what he did all game for the United States. Amazing save after amazing save. And, you know, truly, when you when you look at the sport, soccer, football, whatever, whatever our fans out there like to call the game, you know, keepers, while they're always there, they don't seem like they're that involved in the game sometimes when it comes to having to save shots mm-hmm. you know you might get one or two a game that you really have to put hand on to stop you know the crossbar guys just naturally missing um those things seem to happen a lot but i mean he was just making stop after stop after stop today it wasn't oh he was saved by the bar he was saved by this no he was doing it himself and for that i mean just just amazing on what more 
more than likely could have been the swan song on his U.S. World Cup career. Yeah, amazing game today by Tim Howard. Uh, again, 16 saves. And like you were saying, he, he was only only one ball off woodwork. So those are 16 legit saves right there. Uh, just an amazing game from him. Um, well, let's That's take, it. I hope Liverpool put five by him when we go to Goodison. Yeah, yeah. Um, so now we have July 5th in Brasilia, uh, Argentina, Belgium. And I guess we can also talk about the – no, we did talk about the Dutch Costa Rica. Um, let's talk about a little bit about Argentina, Belgium. Two teams that just had to play an extra 30 minutes apiece. Belgium have a lot of talent. Argentina have the greatest player in the world. Who, who do you see coming out of this? Well, I picked the Argentines to start with. Um, I'm going to stick with them. That said, Belgium Belgium has been – they are who we think they were. Mm-hmm. You know, we knew they were loaded with talent. We knew they were the, quote, dark horse. I don't think many people picked them to win, even though I believe, you know, there were some people put some bets on them to win just because the odds were so good. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think many people really expected them to win. Yeah, I think for Belgium that this could almost be seen as a building year um, where, you know, they're, they're – they're somewhat on schedule to be ahead of schedule, if that makes any sense, what I just said. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is a team that 2016 at the Euros could begin to peak, and 2018 in Russia could be one of the favorites. Mm-hmm. But people obviously still expected them to do great things this year, and they are. I just uh, I just think the Argentines are going to have a little too much for them in the quarterfinals. Should be noted. But that takes nothing, nothing, nothing away from how great uh, Belgium has played. Uh, it should be noted, uh, Belgium has yet to score before the 70th minute in this World Cup through their first four matches. Have not they, scored. They like to keep it interesting. Yes, yes they do. Because they're too dumb to realize where they are on the biggest stage in the world. Uh, they're just too young for that. Um, let's talk just a little bit about, just a little bit more about the U.S. before we, we finish up with this talk. Uh, obviously, we saw the pictures of Kansas City going nuts, uh, Cowboy Stadium being uh, filling up with people watching this game in Dallas. Uh, all across the nation, people are going crazy. And yet, this is, it's probably going to be another four years before we realistically get this kind of fervor, but have, <laughs> we, have we seen an official catalyst? Or I'm not saying MLS ratings are going to go through the roof. But are we going to finally st- – are we, are we turned a corner, Wes? Are we going to see people saying, hey, yeah, let's, let's watch that Premier League thing. Let's, let's watch that. I want to see more of these other players that the U.S. You know, should be playing like and, and, and aspire to be like them. So we can, we can do that. And are we going to see a surge, again, not necessarily with MLS viewership, but just soccer viewership overall to where people can shut up about being Americans only caring about soccer once every four years? Uh, I'm, I'm of the belief that we are going to see some kind of a push. I don't really know if I would call it a surge, but we're, what we're going to see. But what I do believe is that, um, you know, and, and so much more than four, than even four years ago now, it has become, especially the Premier League, has become more readily available mm-hmm. to the public. You know, beforehand you had to have Fox Soccer. 
or you couldn't really watch the Premier League. You know, you might get a Champions League game on Fox or FX now and then. Mm-hmm. But you know, now with with NBC's host of networks carrying the matches, it's so available now to everyone. Right. Um, I really believe the culture has started to pervade a little bit. You know, I think Americans have des- decided, man, you know, it's kind of fun to go to the bar on Saturday morning <laughs> at 10 a.m. and start drinking. Yes. <laughs> you know, hey, this is what this, this is as American as anything drinking before noon. Um, I think they enjoy that. They're really enjoying the camaraderie, mm-hmm. you know, and, and for, you know, for, for whatever your thoughts of, uh, one of my favorite radio announcers, Mr. Colin Cowherd, maybe, mm-hmm. um, something he has always pointed out that he he felt soccer could really blow up in the future was the whole fact that, you know, the time frame that the, that the game's played in a Barclays premier league game. You can you can basically give yourself two hours and you know the match is going to be over. Mm-hmm. There's not going to be overtime. There's not going to be twenty minutes of stopping the match because of penalties and reviews and everything. You're going to get a pregame match and postgame in a two hour block. And pretty much the great and, thing about that is if you happen to be playing on either Saturday or Sunday, you know you either start at you know ten or probably about noon, maybe one o'clock. Exactly. Well, guess what? If you if you still want to watch your college or professional football, you can. There you go. There you go. Uh, and, and that's the thing, you know, they're not going, you know, I, I've heard in the past, well, I'm not going to stop watching football for soccer. You don't have to. Exactly. I mean, you know, and, and personally, myself as a college football fan, the kind of college football fan I am, I'm an East Carolina fan, so obviously I'm going to watch my Pirate game. But other than that, you know, if I'm just looking for a good football game to watch, the way television has done college football now, you're not really getting the top games start starting at least until three thirty in the afternoon. Yeah, with this, and season. then you know, obviously, the later the day goes, you get the better games. Hey, Premier League's over by three thirty. Yeah, even the late game is over by three thirty. I mean, it's usually over by lunchtime. And, you know, I just, I think it's going to become convenient for America. I think it's going to become convenient for America to watch soccer. Um, the stars are becoming more worldwide known. You know, Ronaldo, Messi. Um, I don't know if this is the way he wanted to become known, but <laughs> yeah. uh, my dad mentioned Luis Suarez the other day. Oh, my boy. dad has been mocking me for nearly a decade now for liking soccer. <laughs> <laughs> and he called and asked me asked me about that Suarez fella who bit the Italian guy. <laughs> Why didn't you tell me there was biting in this sport? I would never have made fun of you. <laughs> well, you know, my dad being the paramedic, suddenly he loved that because, hey, there's an injury to treat. <laughs> but, um, you know, when, when my dad, who is... Uh, you know, my dad. My dad's definitely uh, uh, old school from the country kind of guy. When he's bringing up Suarez biting the Italian fella, that that's pretty daggone mainstream. <laughs> suddenly, well, my dad, who is a not a sports fan, and B most definitely not a soccer fan. I was actually surprised he said Suarez's name properly. There you go. Um, to me, that says a lot. You know, these guys are becoming more internationally known. Um, and the internet's obviously having a big deal with that. Uh, you know, we we get into the Twitter talks all the time. You know, you can 
you can be on Twitter, and I mean, you can you can find everything out. You know, I, I use my TuneIn Radio app. Uh, mm-hmm. Free plug for those guys, I guess. I use my TuneIn Radio app to uh, listen to talk sport over in England. You know, that, that's what I like to listen to during the day is because they talk about soccer. But it, it's it's become so accessible for us now that you know, if you have an interest in the sport, there's no reason that you can't feed the interest. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think it's a bad thing either if if people don't yet get excited about MLS. And I, I don't think that should be anything. I really think the MLS product is probably better than a lot of us give it credit for. It's mm-hmm. not on a it's not on a Premier League level. It's not on a La Liga level. It's not on a Bundesliga level. It's not on a Serie A level. But that mm-hmm. doesn't mean it's not good. You know, I mean, these are the best the best leagues in the world with the best players in the world. We're not going to get those and, yet. And they've been the best leagues in the world for 100 years. Right. That's so, the thing. They have 100 years of history behind them. Yeah, so, I mean, maybe, maybe in 20, 30 years out, maybe MLS is regarded as one of the better leagues in the world. You know, maybe instead of getting Kaká at the end of his run to come play in Orlando, maybe guys like that come in the middle of their run. Maybe maybe they come at the beginning of their run to come and make a name for themselves. Even if even if we're just seen as the triple A to the to the majors of the Premier League, I still think that'd be fantastic as a place where people can say, Well, look at what he did for Seattle as a twenty one year old going against those MLS teams. We could use him over here uh, for Spurs. We could use him over here for Everton. We could use him over here for Man City. Because we know he's been playing really good competition. So I think that, you know, while MLS may not be the best thing in the world, go watch that too. You know, I would, honest to God, if if Raleigh had an MLS team, I would get behind that faster than anything. I would love that. Um, I don't know what will happen because they have Kerry right now. Uh, and that's in the, I guess, Division 2, I guess you'd call it. But, you know, I, I, think, I think we've... I think we've turned a corner. I don't. I still think there's some doubters out there, and I don't think there should be. A, I don't have anything against them. That's their right. Um, True. But I don't. Well, I mean, there there are going to be people who just they don't they don't care, and they're never going to care. And I have no problem with that. Personally, I don't care about hockey, and True. I'm never going to care about hockey. Right. But hey, if you like hockey, go ahead and go to your hurricane games. I mean, it's not like it really hurts or affects me. So, I mean, yeah, there are going to be people who don't like it, but, you know, I just, um, I believe I believe it's growing. It's going to grow. And, you know, we've had talks before, not on the podcast here, but on other uh, networks, I guess, or however it was, <laughs> other mediums of communication. You know, right now, football, and I mean American football, the football that we grew up and love, and, you know, you and I will soon be covering each and every Friday night again. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Bigger, faster, stronger has always been the way to go. The problem with bigger, faster, stronger is suddenly it's bigger, faster, stronger, and more head injuries. Yeah. And that is a scary thing. You know, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, my wife has already said, you know, her son's not playing football. Yeah. I'm sure she's not the only one. No, she's definitely not the only one. And soccer has, you know, somewhat become almost an alternative to that. Um, obviously, also baseball and football, but baseball, obviously numbers of baseball have been shrinking over the years. 
Uh, especially as that becomes more and more specialized. Don't get me started on that. Mm. Uh, basketball is basketball still, of course. But soccer is accessible. It's easy to play. You know, you can kind of have a pickup game in a lot of places. And it's viewed as being a safer sport. And, you know, with the top athletes, the more exposure it gets and the more they see that uh, there's money to be made in it. A lot. Hey, you know, suddenly... <laughs> Suddenly it's starting to kick up. I believe out of the top 15 paid athletes in the world, five or six of them were uh, professional football players. So there is money to be made in it. And uh, money, at the end of the day, money kind of drives everything. And if some of these top U.S. athletes, you know, a few of them suddenly pick soccer maybe over, over, you know, college football or, over, you know, going to play minor league baseball or maybe, you know, over going to have a chance to play college basketball somewhere, that could be the one one or two great athletes that the sport really needs to explode in the United States. Because mm-hmm. that's that's what we need right now. We need we need a star. And maybe maybe it will or, be or we or we can just go find more Germans. Well that's what I was saying. Maybe maybe it's Julian Green. Maybe Maybe he's the one. Maybe he breaks out. Maybe this was the only thing he needed because he didn't. He looked pretty much invisible his first two uh, friendlies he played with the men's national team. He came on and he looked great today. So I think may, maybe well, he's the one. Green, I mean, you kind of have to give him a pass. I mean, it may have been only the first or second time he'd actually been to the United States when he played those friendlies. Right. So, you know, for that guy, I mean, hey, he's having to. Oh yeah, I hold nothing against him for those games. I'm just saying, I'm just being honest. He was invisible in those games, but I, I don't, I don't mean that a knock on him. I would have been, I would have been surprised if he had actually contributed in those games. Well, uh, I, I, of course, I mean it in a much more facetious way, but still. Yeah. Um. But and you know, maybe it's maybe it's him. Maybe it's somebody else. Maybe it's John Brooks. Maybe maybe it's one of these guys. Maybe it's a guy that didn't even make the team this year. You know, I've heard. So much about Josh Gatt, a guy who can just absolutely fly, apparently. And I, maybe, maybe there's a guy we have yet to discover on the on the national stage so far who's going to be that guy. And if if we can get that guy, I think I think that's the thing that would push it over the edge. Right now, we're kind of teetering on the edge. You know, we got a lot of people jumping on the bandwagon, but to get over that- the edge. That happens every four years, of course. Uh, yep, and I, but I think, I think to finally make give it that last push, it needs. I think we need a star, and maybe, maybe just maybe, Julian Green's goal against Belgium is the start of his rise to fame. One can only hope. Well, uh, I, before we get off soccer, uh, there is one more person of note we need to talk about from America, and that is Mark Geiger, who has done a great job counting. See what I did there. Uh, fouls for the World Cup as the head referee was Major League Soccer's referee of the year, and now he is doing an absolutely phenomenal job. Did the France-Nigeria knockout game. I believe this is the first MLS referee to ever do a knockout stage game in the World Cup. Also did uh, the 20 and under World Cup final. So this is a guy that uh, Americans can really be proud of. Yes, our boys got knocked out, but maybe... Hey, maybe we'll see him again if, if uh, FIFA deemed he had a good enough game uh, when he was refereeing FIFA Niger- or France-Nigeria, I should say. Maybe we'll see him again in the quarters. 
Well, so maybe for him, uh, the, US, the United States losing was probably a, a boon for him, actually. So. Well, I, I know you mean that kind of as a joke, but I mean, seriously, yeah. that gives him that gives him one more game he could be brought back for. He would not Absolutely. have been able to get up for Algeria, or sorry, Argentina, U.S. He could certainly do Argentina, Belgium, although I don't think they let him do that either, just because they might deem it as conflict of interest considering Belgium just knocked out well, the United but, States. Well, the fact with the U.S. being out, he, he actually, he does remain in the pool. Yes. So that's the big thing. That's yes. That's the big thing. So kudos to you, Mark Geiger. Uh, congratulations on that. Keep doing what you're doing along with the rest of your team, another American and a Canadian. So uh, good stuff there. Um, all right, moving on. Uh, Major League Baseball is at its All-Star game almost. Uh, selection show is this Sunday night on ESPN. Uh, Wes, will hey, you I'll be, be watching? Tune into that one. Yeah, I was, I was just about to ask. You, you'll be watching, right? Sure, why not? Um, yeah, that'll be on ESPN uh, for the first time. Uh, it had been on TBS the last couple years. Because now, it, it matters now, right? I believe that was yeah. the tagline a few years ago. The this time it counts. This time it counts. We're good to know. So good to know that we're going to swing an entire, uh, you know, world championship series on a an exhibition game where we're going to sit guys after four innings. Yeah. Hey, hey, hey! It got us the uh, the chance to finally celebrate a win at Fenway last year. So yeah. yeah. Um. Any any baseball thoughts at all? I mean, I haven't watched much. You haven't watched much. Do you, Do you have any thoughts going as we as we hit the halfway mark of the season? Um, well, I mean, we'll kind of start with the easiest thing there is to say out there. Mike Trout's really good. Really? Hmm, I didn't know that after he had a 489-foot bomb against Kansas City. Yeah, um, and his his numbers are just absolutely insane, hitting around 340 again. Power speed, um, are, are we looking at an all-time great? Um, yes. And that's the, you know, oh, well, you know, he's not as good as Mickey Mantle was. Well, I mean, what did we say about Mickey Mantle when he was 23 years old? You oh, know? he's not as good as Ted Williams. Oh. And what did we say about Ted when he was 23? He's not as good as the babe. And what did we say about the babe when he was 23? Well, he's not as good as, um you know, old Haas Radburn was, I guess. There you go. Nice. Nice oh. saves. But, um, you know... It's wild because, you know, now this day and age, everybody is so picked apart. Mm-hmm. And mainly it's because you have, you know, the advanced metrics and you have the Internet. And you have baseball tonight and, you know, ESPN has thousands of hours of programming that they need to fill. So they're going to break down, you know, the flaw in Albert Pujol's stance. You know, the yeah. stance that's made him one of the best hitters in baseball history. They're going to break it down and tell you why it's terrible. But, you know, when you get a guy like Trout, and, and really, I mean, Miguel Cabrera, who has been a great hitter, but Mike Trout, to me, is just such an all-around great player. For sure. I mean, you know, Cabrera's great. I mean, yes, he won the Triple Crown. There's nothing to take away from him. But he's also not tracking down balls in the gap. No. You know, Cabrera, you're lucky if he takes two steps to the left to make a play. So, Yeah, he's going to be at the age before long. And I just, I just, uh, I, I try to take every chance I can get to watch Anaheim. Of course, you know, as a Red Sox fan, I watch my Sox whenever I get the chance to, no doubt. 
But Anaheim is kind of that other team that I watch, even though it's not like I pull for them. But I just uh, I just want to be able to say one day that I saw greatness uh, and I watched it coming up. And uh, in my case, for Mike, Mike Trout already held a special uh, already held a special place in the heart of Eastern North Carolinians. Um, I think we mentioned before. He had actually signed with East Carolina out of high school. Hey, Billy Godwin might still have his job if he, if he had kept that. Yeah, that, that's the thing. Hey, whatever people have to say about Billy Godwin, he, he did sign Mike Trout. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's not his fault that maybe the maybe the best player of this uh, generation coming out of <laughs> coming, you know, out of the entire world, uh, you know, got drafted twenty third, I believe, and Got uh, about $3 million to sign. Not Billy's fault. But, um, you know, so with that, you know how us Pirate fans are. We take anything we can grasp onto and just run with it till the end of days. Well, let me uh, let me ask you this. Uh, we'll go ahead and move on into our college segment. We were going to talk about uh, UNC getting reinvestigated by the NCAA. <laughs> but really, who cares? So let's talk about uh, ECU. Yeah. Who cares? Uh, ECU is moving on uh, with their baseball program. They are going uh, from one Godwin to another. They are going from Billy to Cliff, uh, a, a man I actually know and am friends with. Um, when his time, when he was at East Carolina, he was. I, I love how the article mentions that he was a catcher on those teams that went to super regionals. When really, by that point in his career, there he was a DH. He was a DH. Let's yeah, be really because uh, a friend of mine, Clayton McCullough, was the catcher. Oh, I love Clayton. Oh, me. Oh, I love Clayton. Clayton was great. I, I know too many gross facts about Clayton, so I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to comment on Clayton anymore. So. Well, yeah. <laughs> that entire but, uh, team was just great. Well, yeah, and, and like you, you know, uh, I, I remember Cliff Godwin extremely well, extremely well. At that point in my life, I, he's about he's about four years older than I am, so I remember his name from Green Central, just mm-hmm. around the. Uh, you know, Eastern North Carolina baseball community. And then he made his way to East Carolina. And man, that was just a time in my life. I was going to a lot of East Carolina games. There was a ton of excitement around that program. You know, Gary Overton had just left. And, you know, this young, you know, really fireball guy named Keith LeClaire came in there and mm-hmm. just really revolutionized the game at East Carolina. And Cliff Goblin was a big part of it. And, um, I was just, I was super excited to see him get hired at ECU. Uh, they had a couple of really good candidates that I don't think they could have gone wrong on. Uh, one of the big ones being one of your assistants up at Virginia, you know. Yeah. Uh, Kevin McMullen. Yep. Yeah, McMullen. Yeah, yeah, McMullen would have been an awesome hire. Don't get me wrong there, but Godwin, you know, East Carolina, they really appreciate when you have ties to the school, and especially if you played for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, you look at Ruffin McNeil, you know, and he. there's a lot of excitement around the football program, you know, and that's a Pirate alumni who's come home and done a great job. And, you know, at East Carolina, it, it's not the University of North Carolina. It's not one of your flagship, you know, programs. So a lot of people who are not East Carolina people, I think they kind of see the job as, you know, kind of like Skip Holtz did, you know, almost like, well, it's a stepping stone to something better. Right. And East, Carol- and East Carolina people do not like to hear that. No. They take that very personally. Mm-hmm. Yes. So you know, I think they kind of, you know they kind of feel you know well we'll go get one of our own and they'll understand that this can be a great job. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I've got no problem with that. I understand exactly where that's coming from. Um, and with Cliff Godwin, you know, we've got one of our own. 
Um, I believe he has what it takes to be a fantastic coach, maybe for the next 10, 15, 20 years at East Carolina. Um, and he is coming off a, a heck of a run as the top assistant at Ole Miss. And um, as a Pirate fan, I'm, I'm really excited for what's coming up for our baseball program. I still remember uh, watching Cliff in his last game, uh, last uh, regular season home game against NC State. He hit a ball out to right field at uh, what would become Clark LeClaire Stadium that I don't think has actually landed yet. I think it's, it's still actually, some... That, that was actually the old stadium. That was yeah. at uh, Harrington. Yes, yes. Which is in the same place. It's just very... Very nice in a stuff. different different alignment. <laughs> yes, yes, slightly different because they bulldozed the jungle. Um, but that no, was, I, about then. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a different sort of jungle back then. Oh, yes. uh, um, but no, I have a lot of great memories too. Um, I, I have a lot of great memories of that entire team, which uh, we mentioned. Kevin McMullen was actually the uh, the hitting coach and assistant on that team as well, right. along with. Um, Tommy Eason, who's now, I, I believe he's still the head coach over he's, at Pitt Community. Sure is. So uh, that was a great staff. That was a great team. What what I loved about Coach LeClaire and the rest of his coaching staff and their, their attitude was, I think they realized that they weren't going to get all the top talents in North Carolina because of what school they were. So exactly. they went out and recruited the entire nation. They got a lot of JUCOs, the guys like James Molinari. Guys like Eric Backage came in and came over to North Carolina from California to play the last two years of their career and build something. And then, you know, you had other guys that may not have gone to the bigger schools like Joe Hastings, like Chad Tracy, even though Chad Tracy ended up breaking out and having a pretty darn good Major League Baseball career. Um, he, made, he made a living. Yes, he did. And um, so I, I think that that's what coaches that followed – uh, LeClaire, and then for the one season he was there in the interim, uh, Coach McMullen. Um, mm-hmm. That's what was lost after that with Randy Maisie and that whole debacle and everything that came after him. I think they just tried to focus too locally. And when you do that, unfortunately, you're just not going to get the talent. And I, I, I know that seems like a slight against this part of North Carolina. And I'm sorry, I'm not sorry. But if you want to win, you have to scout the entire country. And that's what Coach LeClaire's staff understood. Mm-hmm. And I believe that's what Coach Godwin is going to do in his time there. And I, I'm, I'm very excited. I'm not the biggest ECU fan in the world for reasons. But I love Cliff Godwin, and I wish him mounds upon mounds of success. And I will be intently following that program. Well, I think one problem, just to get back what we were just saying, uh, you brought up the name Randy Maisie. One problem with Randy Maisie is um, I believe at the time after Coach LeClaire had, you know, was no longer well enough to be able to coach and McMullen came in for a year, East Carolina, Mike Hamrick at the time was the athletic director. And mm-hmm. that, that is not a well-liked person at East Carolina. Not at I mean, all. I have stories about that. That's oh, I've, okay. I have actually I have actually been kicked off of East Carolina's football field by Mike Hamrick. Personally, we, we, we might have to trade some hammer stories sometimes. I've got a few myself. So. <laughs> I, I think you can find many people from East Carolina who have many good Mike Hamrick stories about how yeah. much they did not care for him. But, you know, Mike Hamrick went out and Hamrick, you know, Hamrick's the guy who ran off Steve Logan, who 
well, Logan kind of had his quirks personality-wise. To this day, is still the best coach East Carolina ever had on the football field. True. Um, Hamrick wanted to do things his way and wanted his stamp on everything. And, you know, that baseball program under LeClaire was very – it was special. And not Oof. not just special on the field. It was special to the people of East Carolina. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, there were a lot of people who wanted McMullen or Tommy Eason to get that job. Absolutely. And I think Mike Hamrick was just like, I don't really give a damn what you want. I'm going to do what I want. And they kind of, it's almost like he said to hell with the family atmosphere that we have here in East Carolina. I want to go out and get a guy who's going to win a load of baseball games. Mm -hmm. And I don't care what cost he does it at. Uh, And Randy Maisie was that guy. He was not a bad baseball coach. He got some, you know, brought some really good baseball players to East Carolina. Uh, but there is definitely, even with the great success that he had record-wise, including a super regional bid, um, there is a definite cloud that hangs over the East Carolina program at that time. Yeah, a lot of a lot of behind-the-scenes drama when Randy yes, was yes, there. Yes, very much so. Very much so. Very behind-the-scenes, off-the-field, training-wise. You know, it's crazy that a 5'7", 180-pound kid who came in as a freshman and could barely hit a home run hit 25 his senior year, and he weighed 225 pounds suddenly. Um, <laughs> fill, in the blanks. fill in the blanks for the mid-2000s of any sport. And yeah, I think you'll true. know what I'm talking about there. Um, and, you know, I think at that point East Carolina felt they had been burned uh, by Hamrick. So, you know, Billy Godwin, and do not get me wrong, I've known Billy Godwin – as a coach since I was five or six years old going to North Carolina Wesleyan baseball camp, mm-hmm. you know, he's a Northern Ash graduate. So, Hey, he's right in our all new viewing area. You know, I mean, Hey, he was a great coach, uh, infield Academy, you know, coach with Mike Fox at North Carolina Wesleyan, um, went and turned Lewisburg junior college into a national powerhouse. And I think he was a very safe hire at the yes. moment. For East Carolina. Yes. You know, they brought him in as an assistant to Maisie, and then when Maisie left under a cloud of turmoil, you know, um, Billy, Billy had such a good reputation in Eastern North Carolina. It was an easy choice for him. And hey, Billy did some good things. I mean, hey, Billy got him to a, got the Pirates to a super regional as well. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, in Chapel Hill, I was, I was there, got sunburned, didn't see us win a game. I've <laughs> <laughs> still yet to see the Pirates win a super regional game, and I've been to all three of them. Uh... Uh, would it surprise you if I, if I was to tell you that uh, I was actually in the Pirate Radio studios uh, when that hire was made that summer, and I uh, was actually able to give my thoughts live on air about that hire? <laughs> was that the last time you were on air at Pirate Studios? <laughs> I believe it was actually not. Be- it was because my internship was over, not because they kicked me off. It wasn't because of your controversial views of the hire. <laughs> no, no, not that. Uh-huh. And, you know, now one thing, Billy, Billy brought some stability to the program. He did. Um, but at the end of the day, okay, the stability's great. You know, we, we somewhat enjoyed the family atmosphere back a little bit. But at this point, you know, when you mm. start missing the NCAA tournament, yeah, at some point in college sports, winning games matters. Yep. You know, once, once it's no longer a grease fire off the field, all right, now we got to win some baseball games. And Billy just – he just didn't win enough baseball games the last three, four years. Mm-hmm. And that's that's really what did him in. Uh, I 
I'm gonna be I'm gonna be honest with you. That was, and it was the words I said on that uh, radio show. It was it was the safe play, um, mm-hmm. and it surprised me from Terry Holland because this is yep. a man who was well respected. He was the AD at the time at East Carolina, well respected mm-hmm. across the country. And let's face it, East Carolina was still considered, and not to knock it now, but East Carolina then was considered a very, very good coaching job. And with the building... It was a a, uh, non-big, really big five, big six conference. It was one of the top jobs in the country. It was it was a place outside where, of one of your quote BCS conferences. Yeah, it was a place like you know, kind of like Rice became. You know, it was one of these mm-hmm. places where once they got the new facilities, if you had if you yep. were the right manager, you could go in there and expect to host a regional just about every year. Like you could go in that's there right. and win baseball games, and they would love you. And that's why a national search wasn't conducted. Why a thorough national search wasn't conducted was one of the biggest mistakes Terry Holland made while he was at East Carolina. And that's what I said on the radio, and that's what I still believe to this day. And to an extent, I believe that's why we're in this situation. Who knows who they could have actually gotten? But I believe that they could have gotten a better coach than Billy Godwin. No disrespect, God rest. Well, and I mean, just hey, just look at your Virginia program. Yeah, I mean, when when Billy Godwin was hired in East Carolina, Virginia was far from being a national powerhouse. Mm-hmm. You know, could an O'Connor have been maybe had? Yeah, you know, Brian O'Connor, he came over from Notre Dame. I mean, Notre Dame, not exactly a baseball power themselves, and he came right in. And in the eleven years he's been there, Virginia has made the NCAA tournament every year. They had only been to the NCAA tournament three years in their entire history before that. You know, you look at the other team they were matched up with in the College World Series final, Vanderbilt, and Tim Corbin, who I know. And he did the exact same thing. He hasn't been every single year, but Vanderbilt was nowhere near a baseball power when he took over that program. And he turned them into a national power. Granted, these are two guys who are working in the ACC and SEC, respectively. But man, that's that's the kind of coach they could have brought into East Carolina with with a program already in place. That's anyway. That's my thoughts. And, and I, I totally agree with that. And you know, and that's kind of what you get at is not that you're going to bring in Brian O'Connor hmm. per se, right? But you know, the hot young coaches like he was, yeah. You know, East Carolina, East Carolina could have had a shot at, yeah. and they didn't, and it's fine. It, it's what it is. You know, I still love Billy Godwin. Don't get me wrong. I hope you know whatever wherever he ends up next. I hope he does a great job there because I still believe he's a really good baseball coach. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, very excited for the Cliff Godwin years to come. Yeah, it's going to be great. We can't wait to check them out. All right, Wes, let's hit the zeitgeist. Uh, you use Facebook, don't you? Why, yes, I do. I do it at work when I get in trouble all the time. Continue. Well, did you know that there was a week, a couple months ago, when uh, Facebook did a little test? Uh, It was in January 2012. Data scientists took uh, your news feed, maybe. There were 700,000 people this happened to, so you could have been one of them. And they said, let's rearrange this person's news feed. And uh, we're going to put some either sad or happy stories higher to the front. And let's see how he reacts. 
Let's see if this makes him more happy or sad. Turns out, it does actually affect your mood. So now the, the bigger question is, are you cool with Facebook basically treating you as a lab rat? Which, by the way, their terms of service did not actually include that they could do this until about four months after the fact. So, anyway. Well, that said, it didn't say that they couldn't do it. Yeah. So, I, I'm, I'm one of these people. I, I, I mean, I saw this story, I looked at it, and I didn't really think twice about it. <laughs> Because just didn't care that much. Um, I mean, man, you know, truly Facebook. And I know, I know plenty of people who despise Facebook, and you know, well, they talk about they despise Facebook and all this and all that. I mean, look, man, hey, at this point, Facebook is great. You know, it, it does give you the chance to keep up with people that, in other ways, you wouldn't keep up with. I mean, I found plenty of old schoolmates and people that I've known through my life and hey, it's just fun to, you know, drop them a line every now and then, hey buddy, what's up? Or just see, you know, what's going on. I'm I'm not one of these Facebook haters. If you want to use me as a lab rat, go right ahead because I am probably unlike any test subject you will ever find. And that is only the beginning of the story. Uh, just to mention real quick, uh, The Atlantic is where I got this story. Uh, www.theatlantic.com. Just to let you know, in their uh, their sidebar here, their top two just-in stories uh, by Jake Simpson, USA versus Belgium in the World Cup, The Agony of Expe- Exceeding Expectations, which <laughs> I already take offense to because my expectations were to get to the knockout stage. So booyah, Mr. Simpson. Boo out to you. And then right under that, uh, Tim Howard just taught me to love soccer by Spencer Cornhaber. So, you know, maybe maybe they just feel they have to undo everything and culture tried. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, did I just name did I just name she who shall not be named? Is the Horcrux gonna come after me now? You did say a name that may have you on some hit list now. Ed. Oh, no. I hope the NSA or Facebook isn't listening to this conversation. Well, I'm quite sure they are. Oh, uh, terrorism. And I'm, quite, and I'm quite sure they have your credit card number. <sighs> All right, Wes. As we, we, we mentioned at the top of the show, some surprise faces this week on Raw. So as we dive into, as we slide right into So Raw, please... Please tell the people at home what to get excited on as we continue the excruciatingly slow push towards SummerSlam. Well, Ed, this past Sunday night, the Money in the Bank pay-per-view special event, whatever they call it now that everything's on the network and you don't have to pay 50 bucks a pop anymore. Uh, very happy time. Happy time. Um, Money in the Bank, the uh, two biggest matches of the night, of course, the two ladder matches that we have discussed in Detail over the last few weeks. Uh, the first one of the night, the Money in the Bank match, Seth Rollins, the now most hated man in the WWE, Seth Rollins. Why, Seth, why did you break up our beloved Shield with the help of the now demon, no longer corporate Kane? Uh, he climbed the ladder, pulled down the briefcase, even though it looked like everyone's new favorite person in the world, Dean Ambrose, was going to make his way to the top and win it. Uh, So with that said, Seth Rollins now has a briefcase that has a contract inside. That means any time in the next 365 days, 
Let's adjust. Let's call it about 362 days now. Seth Rollins can anywhere, anytime get a world championship match. No, not Seth Rollins. Oh, Seth Rollins. I'm, I'm a, I may be one of the only people who still loves Seth Rollins. I think he's fantastic. I just, he, he is wonderful. Of course, I always enjoyed the bad guys. That was me. Um, in the money, in the ladder match to determine the new world heavyweight champion, Ed, I'll tell you, at the end of the night, everyone had their chance, including the show's favorite, Roman Reigns. Oh, Roman. Oh, Roman. Oh, he was close on a couple of occasions, but Ed, at the end of the night, that plucky, scrappy underdog, the guy who's never had anything handed to him, the guy who, I mean, really, you almost forgot was there. John Cena wins the title. Can I just stop you right here? Here's how I'm. Here's how I'm getting on with our so raw segments. I <laughs> knew that's what you were gonna say. Just by your description, I knew that's who it was gonna be. You had to be. No one else could be described as a plucky underdog. Of course Never not. had anyone give it to him quite like John Cena. Oh. <laughs> At the end of the night, John Cena climbed the ladder after dropping the attitude adjuster on both the Demon Kane. And the Viper, Randy Orton, climbed the ladder and won the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. So, now as we move on to Raw, everything begins. By the way, Ed, just to let you know, today being July 1st that we're actually recording this pod, you don't have to wait long for your next pay-per-view. July 20th, Battleground, comes your way from Tampa, Florida, and we have already got our main event announced. It is a fatal four-way match for the world title. John Cena mm. defends against the Viper Randy Orton, the Demon Kane, and the all-new sports show's favorite human being on Earth, Roman Reigns. Oh, go Roman! And Ed, of course, a fatal four-way, as I'm sure you know with your intricate knowledge of the uh, squared circle. Of course. Means that John Cena does not have to actually be pinned to lose the title. All you have to do as a competitor is pin someone or make someone tap out, and you are the champ, my friend. What else would fatal mean? Well, I mean, exactly. What else would it mean? I mean, I, I, like I said, I didn't even have to explain that to you. That's just for the people at home. Yeah. But anyway, on Raw, we got that announced to us. Um, we did have a couple of really big returns last night. First and foremost, The Miz. Yay. Yay. And, yeah. and that's kind of how the crowd felt. Yay. <laughs> As The Miz sat there proclaiming how uh, he had now become an international superstar, by starring in the upcoming straight-to-DVD release of The Marine 4. Mm. Mm. Because we needed a fourth installment of The Marine. We didn't need a second. We didn't really need a first, did we, John Cena? <laughs> uh, he was interrupted by the great, legendary Y2J, Chris Jericho, who truly does cross all platforms of media as a lead singer of the world-renowned band Fozzy. Mm, I love Fozzy. Yes. Oh, big Fozzy fans here. Mm. Uh, Y2J made his return, um, talked some nice smack to the Miz, and was then promptly attacked by the Wyatt family. <laughs> Yay, Wyatt family. 
Yay, Wyatt. So it looks like we're going to have a nice Bray Wyatt, uh, Chris Jericho program coming up, which will actually be really good television, if, if, if that's your kind of television, that means. Uh, it will definitely be uh, some really good must-see tune-in television on Monday nights. Um, and then later in the match, the uh, newly wed Mrs. CM Punk, a.k.a. AJ Lee, returned and won back her WWE Divas title from Paige. So, we get a new champion on the night, Mrs. CM Punk, Y2J's back, and still no one cares that The Miz exists. So, Ed, that will conclude another fantastic week of So Raw. Uh, I, uh, nobody cares about The Miz. What a great thing. Uh, before we end the show, I also want to mention, I just started House of Cards on Netflix. Fantastic. How is that so far? I've been really thinking about that one. I've watched one episode. Holy <gasps> That's all I gotta say. That's, that's you'll all. Watch, you'll watch another one, you mean? I'm gonna, I'm plan on watching the rest of them. It was, <laughs> I was, I went in believing it was gonna be a, a much more serious uh, West Wing. Uh, the great Aaron Sorkin uh-huh. show uh, from NBC. Um, it, it's it's actually closer to the West Wing than I thought. The first scene completely threw me off, though. I was like, "Oh God, I don't know if I can do this." And then everything else was great in that episode. It was. I thought. I and this should not be a spoiler. I thought Kevin Spacey's uh, talking to the camera deal, like like breaking the whole fourth wall and everything. I thought that'd be incredibly annoying. No, it's actually put to really good use most of the time and very enjoyable. So I'm one episode in, uh, and I'm I'm loving it. Um, it has it has just enough humor to to make to make the drama okay. Like I'm okay with drama as long as you sprinkle in the humor. And so far through the first episode, this show is doing it very nicely. So yeah, I would if if that sounds like you're a cup of tea, I would I would certainly recommend doing it. As apparently the rest of the free world already has. I'm just catching up now. Well, hey, I'm I'm personally still waiting for that day when I start The Sopranos. So I don't think I'm ever going to start The Sopranos. I don't think that's going to happen. I think I will eventually. I'm a, I, I'm, I do enjoy the good mob mob uh, series, movie, whatever you want to say. I, I'll get to it one day. You know, I think it's been off here, what, about six, seven years now? Yeah. Although you can watch if you do, if you have the Amazon Prime subscription. And hey, Amazon Prime, if you'd like to uh, sponsor this podcast, we'd love to have you. Uh, but well, if you I'd have. Love for you to give me an Amazon Prime subscription. <laughs> absolutely. But if you have an Amazon Prime, you can actually go back and watch the entirety of The Sopranos, I believe. Oh, that'd be wonderful. That'd be wonderful. Um, I am not an Amazon Prime subscriber at this point, but I do have the app on my PlayStation. Well, there you go. Hey, hey, maybe, maybe so, uh, you know, maybe you know. If you <laughs> PlayStation, if you would also like to sponsor us, give <laughs> us a call. Yeah. Sony, Sony, please, please give us your money. You're dominating with the PS4 in this generation. Just give me your money. Oh, enough product yes. placements. Uh, but we do want to also give a shout out to Podbean.com for hosting our podcast and all the guys that were listening on there. Of course, you can also check us out on iTunes. Uh, free iPods would be welcome. Um, if you want to get up with us on social media, get up at All New Sports Show, Facebook.com slash All New Sports Show. Email us, All New Sports Show at gmail.com. Mail us your parcels and letters at 1701 Sunset Avenue, Suite 201, Rocky Mountain, North Carolina. 
27804. If you need any of those, they're in the podcast episode description. Uh, go to ESPNFC.com. Click on everything there. Uh, follow at Men and Blazers. Follow at Embassy Davies. Follow at Raj Bennett. Follow at ESPN Wando. Uh, follow at Wes Bradshaw 21. At Edward Green. Um, have I forgotten anybody, Wes? Oh, at, at, at PCAR ESPN. At PCAR ESPN. Fantastic. There you go. I'll personally follow uh, at the Dean Ambrose. Ah, at the Dean Ambrose. Uh, is does anybody else? Is anybody else in our so raw updates have have a Twitter feed we should be following? Well, everyone does. Oh, you've got to follow the uh, if you follow the Seth Rollins Roman Reigns Twitter feed, uh, you get to see every few days either uh, pictures from CrossFit. Ooh. It really makes me feel good about myself. <laughs> Absolutely. Does uh does the Miz have a Twitter? More than likely, but still, no one really cares. Oh, poor Miz. Not really. Sorry, no one really cares. Uh, well, no one cares. No one cares. But we're still going to care about the World Cup, and we'll be bringing you uh, our takes on not just the quarterfinals, but I believe we'll be able to bring you our semifinals takes as well. Uh, by that right, time, guest next week. Oh, oh yes, we'll have a guest next week. We thought we might have him this week, but uh, he had the audacity to take vacation on us. Uh, Nick Petrovich looks like he will be joining us next week to break down uh, the World Cup as it's been going on so far before he then joins us live in studio on the all-new sports show uh, as as will be that'll be Coronation Sunday. So that'll be a lot of fun. We'll be we'll be talking to Nick Petrovich a lot over this next couple of weeks. Christmas uh, in July is just a couple of weeks away. I need to get started on that intro, although I I have I do have mostly our new intros uh, and our new outro done. And our new 60 Seconds of Soccer is mostly done, which, if you had picked up my phone call last week, could actually be completely done by now. But, eh, who's, who's really counting? Oh, sorry. Uh, I forgot you were an international man of mystery. It's fine. All right, Wes. Well, we are going to get out of here. Thanks so much, you guys, for listening to the podcast today. Again, look us on podbean.com and iTunes. Hello? All right, then. All right, what was the last thing you heard me say so I know where to pick up? Uh, you were making fun of me, or you were saying I didn't answer your call last week. Yes, all right. So, yeah, if you had, if you, had you know, answered your phone last week, uh, with the soccer intro could already be done. Just saying. Well, you know, wish in one hand, spit in the other one, see which one fills up first. And on that note... We're going to say goodbye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the all-new sports of the podcast. I'm Edward Green. That's been Wes Bradshaw. It's been real, everybody. Good night and good, good night, luck. Oh, good night, DeAndre Yedlin. I love you still. Delicious. Delicious. Delicious.